you're a founder building a company, you're going to eventually have to start hiring executives to help you scale. The people you bring into your leadership team can make or break your startup. I'm Nigel Robinson with Build Talent, and in each episode, we'll be speaking with a founder or expert as we discuss the art and science of hiring leaders, why it matters, and how you can keep up. Welcome to the Gradients Podcast. Thank you again for joining us on the podcast. Today, we have Tammy Hahn, the head of talent, aka the human LinkedIn at Emergence Capital. She spent five years of her 10 years of experience recruiting at First Round Capital, which for those who don't know, is kind of a precursor to YC, has been around for 20 years, one of the first funds focused on seed now at Emergence, where you guys focused on early investing and around the Series A. I guess to start us off, how did you get into recruiting? That's a great question. And actually, to go back on some points earlier, so I was a concierge for a long time. I like actually went to law school and didn't become an attorney. And I actually came up here to visit friends. And up in the Bay Area, I, at the time, I was living in Orange County. And I was interviewing at roles at Google and Twitter and ended up getting offers at both of those places for like chief of staff type roles. And when I went to go consult with a friend, Jose and Brian know John Schmoker, who at the time was a recruiter himself at Riviera Partners, an agency that primarily now focuses on technical leadership hiring. I was trying to evaluate my options and having him help me pick a course of career. And I ended up getting recruited into being a recruiter and taking a job that was like a third of the salary I would have received at the other companies. But it was the most humbling and rewarding year of my life. I think year and a half. I was working with a slew of really interesting early stage companies back when like you could rely on TechCrunch to be breaking news on like companies that had just raised um, and people weren't delaying their announcements. I got to work with companies like Mopub, which ended up getting acquired by Twitter, a company called Karma Science, which was um, one of Facebook's first acquisitions when they went public. I was Pinterest's like first recruiting resource. Wow. So I got to work with a lot of really early stage companies that had just raised their seed rounds or Series A. And I worked about 21 of them wow. across all industries. And one of the companies I grew really close to was a company called MemSQL. And they're now known as Single Store. And at the time, they were the world's fastest relational database. It was back when like the NoSQL movement was like hot. And I got to work there for almost a year. And in that time, we were able to grow the team on the engineering side, primarily with interns through to full-time senior engineers from, I want to say like 9 to 40. And then at that time, they needed to raise more money and focus on some of the go-to-market hiring. And I had gotten close to the first round team and there was an opportunity for me there. And I got to expand my recruiting aperture from interns and full-time individual contributors through to supporting C-level and the non-technical roles because for all the C-stage companies we were supporting at the time, I think it was 175. When I left five and a half years later, it was 300 companies at seed stage, they hire for everything, everything from their first set of engineers, their first engineering lead through to like their first head of biz ops, their first recruiter. And it was like the best learning experience for me getting to see so many different companies along their journey. Companies like Uber and Flexport, who at the time were just a handful of people through to becoming public companies. And I got to work with companies across coasts, both New York, Boston, Philadelphia, where First Round's other headquarters were through to all of the West Coast as well and some international. I love that in your background, you've done the seed stage internal, you've done the third party agency, Mm -hmm. now you're doing the venture. You've kind of seen all of the angles of this stuff. 
How did you make the decision to get into venture and what was it about emergence that you felt was the right fit there? Well, I don't think I really chose venture. And I think for some of the best people I know in venture, venture more so chose them. And I feel like recruiting also happens to be my life's work. I never like I didn't study for that in college. I it fell into me. And back to what I'd mentioned to you earlier, I was a concierge of the four seasons for a good five and a half years as well. And I've always I think the common theme I've seen is across all my roles, there's always been a service element. Mm. And there's always been a, I want to understand you, Nigel, like what are your preferences and interests? I don't want to just pigeonhole you based off of what I see in your resume, but I also want to understand your story and like where you're looking to go so we can ensure that the next role you take helps get you to where you're looking to go. And it's similar to like how you plan a guest experience at the Four Seasons. When I worked in retail at Ralph Lauren, it was understanding like what type of outfit they're dressing for. And um, creating an experience and or set of suggestions tailored to that person because I believe in having curated offerings of things. And with venture with first round, it was a new recruiting role where I get to work with a portfolio company similar to what I did at at Riviera Partners, where I got to work with a whole slew of candidates where if the person was a mobile engineer that was interested in consumer facing technologies, like we could have them talk to these four companies. If it was a person who was primarily focused on enterprise software, we could have them talk to these. I felt like there were times where people who I'd worked with through my Riviera recruiting days, they wanted opportunities that were not enterprise or database oriented. So I couldn't really recruit them from MemSQL and I didn't want to be limited to the people I could help. And fortunately, I got my start in venture in the earlier days of venture talent back when there were only seven other VC firms. And I'm still very close to all those talent partners who were part of this community of VCs that actually were in support of their companies, not just for lip service and to ensure that they could win deals, but because they actually cared about the the VC talent piece. And that's primarily focused on portfolio hiring, not internal hiring. And then over time, like I've now been in the VC community since what, 2012? So like almost a decade. And in that time, there has been an explosion of opportunities at VC firms. Like when I was considering new opportunities in early 2018, I was going to take some time off and ski and like figure out my life. And fortunately, I was really close to the Sequoia team and was able to take on an opportunity to explore the human capital function there was, is how they refer to talent. Some of the people there, I, I really respect a ton and they have it in a different type of model where they have specialists for each type of role. So like, you know, Teresa and Brett, like they will focus primarily on all technical exec talent. And then there's folks focus on GNA talent. There are folks focus on individual contributor engineering talent, recruiters for recruiters. And that's great when you have a fund that has that many assets under management and management fees that can afford a team of that size. But I really wanted a role where I could work with early stage companies to necessarily have to be as early stage as seed stage, like first round, but early enough to be part of their formative period and also get to work across um, different functions. And for me, like I've always been grounded in technical recruiting, everything from product eng to design and adjacencies as well. But I felt like joining the emergence team would give me an opportunity to work with other operators who, like my colleague right now, Doug Landis, he's a growth partner who focuses on all things go to market. So anything sales, marketing, customer success related, he has a network that's crazy. Like every time he like breathes on LinkedIn, he gets 15,000 page views. Like that's more than all of my posts combined. I'm not as external and vocal on LinkedIn as he is. It's great to have a partner like that because he has been in the seat before and has help build and scale teams from first few sale sellers on the team through to a company that has gone public because he was at Google or Oracle 
Google, Salesforce, and Box wow. in their growing phases. So it's nice to have him as a, a partner to counterbalance the areas where I'm deficient on the go-to-market side. But I've learned a lot through him and partnering with other great search firms like Build Talent for our engine product hires. Thank you. But yeah, so I've loved the venture opportunity because it allows me to work with a portfolio, which means I get to learn lots. I get to work with a lot of different founders and help them realize their dreams and teams that they want to build. I've been fortunate to have seen so many different examples of this through my time at First Round because that that portfolio was so big that I was able to glean a lot of learnings from uh, examples where I probably could have been more over-communicative in the advice and best practices I was sharing. And I'm able to use those learnings um, going forward with our first-time founders or those who haven't necessarily built a company in Silicon Valley. Yeah, that's why we're glad to have you here is hopefully to, to share some of that. It definitely resonates with me what you said about it being kind of this service mentality of like being stewards of the opportunity, being stewards of the founder's vision. And that that vantage point that you mentioned too about being in venture and getting to see the landscape versus being kind of in-house at one, one mission, one singular focus. In that idea of like having to see across all of these different opportunities, how... What is like the spectrum of ability that you've seen in founders when it comes to the ability to hire? Like, is there a, like, what's the bottom rung? What's the top? And and I guess if there's some like behaviors or patterns that you see among the founders that really nail this part of the, of the job. Well, without calling anyone out, right? there's certainly first time founders that are excellent at recruiting because they care and you know that they care. Candidates know they care. Like we as those who partner with them know that they care. There's also those who are repeat founders that still can't crack it. And if you can't, like, hopefully you can hire someone that is actually good at recruiting because I think all good founders should spend at least 50% of their time recruiting. And if they can't hire for the area that you don't have, which is like how I suggest, like they approach every function that they need to continue to build out. And like, we're pretty hands-on with our portfolio companies. Once we make a series A investment, we're Myself and Doug will like understand the person's like go to the team's go to market strategy, what their like upcoming hiring plan is. And if like you're looking to hire this person by January of next year, you should probably start thinking about them in like summer because it's going to take anywhere from three to six months, especially in this market, to hire someone. And those who can prepare and are organized with process tend to be those that can one that and like focus and alignment on profile. Because I, I find that sometimes one founder will have an idea of like what they want to hire. And it's not communicated to others on the right. hiring panel. And then it then leads to like a confusing search because your recruiter is operating off of what has been shared with them. But then if you're rejecting a bunch of candidates, it's like, let's understand why like this person's failing. Is it because they are deficient in certain competences that we need? Or is it just like a preference thing? Yeah. And I find that those who can start with alignment early on, and we'll usually encourage our founders through introducing them to advisors or operators in our portfolio, like you want to hire a head of talent, like here are four examples. You can run any questions by them. They're a friendly face. And if you, and they'll give you an honest answer, like this job description, is it too much for one person or is it unrealistic? Like right. you're trying to hire CMO as a series A company. It's probably a bit of an overhire. You might need to hire that person in like 18 to 24 months, but like today without having an existing like marketing team, a limited budget, like you don't need like a world-class CMO today. You need a right. world-class like up and coming VP. And I think for those that are good at hiring and good at hiring is a very like big statement. I think they're able to hire. It means you're good at a lot of things to be good at that thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, and usually you're also good at fundraising because you're able to pitch and be compelling. But a lot of it is, I saw this for some of our founders, they were able to hire successfully even when no one else was hiring during COVID. And like, Hmm. similar to like, good companies can always raise regardless of like what's going on with recessions and whatnot. Like good people, good companies will always be able to hire great people because there's clarity in the role. There's a mission that people can be drawn towards, even if it's like selling marketing tools, selling things that are not necessarily like in their interest circuit. Like people can always be sold and recruited provided there is alignment and the team is one that is showing signs of growth if they're not already like proven founders. Like, I mean, you've worked with us on the Twixer. Yeah, yeah. And the alignment piece, the alignment piece so critical, like uh, getting founders away from the, I know it when I see it mentality and like getting it down, getting it said out loud, getting everybody kind of on the same page. Absolutely, we, we've seen both sides of that. Yeah, and having an organized process and also one that's not too time or labor intensive. Of course, you want to make sure that they have skin in the game and that they're actually going to be able to do the job. So like do some screening, but like don't have your head of engineering do a code challenge. Like that's kind of insulting. Right, yeah. Ensure that your process doesn't take eight weeks to get through because in this market, like that person will get offers. Yeah. If there are any sort of decent, they will get plenty of offers. Like I had seen middle of last year for FP&A candidates, like more so manager level, they tend to get like, you know, one or two offers. Some of them were getting like five offers. It was like the most needed they've ever felt. But across every role, I feel like there was certainly an uptick in demand. And because of the abundance of opportunities for reasonably talented people, founders need to move quickly. And they also need to have an organized process to run people through as soon as they find the right candidates, which is why like, I always tell our founders to over-prepare, start talking to search firms early because it could take anywhere from six to eight weeks before the search firm that you want to work with actually has that capacity to take on that slot. And they've worked with clients that are similar to yourself and are hiring for that same type of profile. Yeah, I feel like uh, the timeline piece, not everything gets factored in. You're so right about that. Like it's not only, all right, how long till you can work with that with that firm? And then it's, okay, how long does it take to find the finalist? Okay, from when you find the finalist to when they accept the offer. And then when and they start, leave their job yeah. and then ramp up on the work and all of that, you're looking at almost a year basically. And so, right. yeah, I was talking to a founder uh, last week who was like, start early, basically, to your point. Yeah. And there's something here too of like securing funding has gotten easier. You mentioned that good companies can kind of raise in any round. We're seeing all kinds of companies raise crazy rounds, like valuations are like higher than they've ever been at, at pretty much every stage. With all these companies raising, the ability to land top talent is getting harder because everybody kind of has these different opportunities. How have you seen recruiting change or how have you seen these dynamics kind of play out on your side? Are you seeing kind of even more stringent talent markets in this respect? Or I mean, it's harder because I recommend that our founders partner with search firms if they are serious about their search, because at the end of the day, like you will tap your network quite quickly after like you hit your first 20, especially if you are an executive and you have a technical background and a technical network and you never hired a go-to-market leader before, nor do you have like a target-rich population to reach out to. I do suggest most of our companies work with a recruiter that has qualified domain expertise, like searching for those roles. And in addition to that, because of the competition, like you want someone out there who's in the market, like advocating on your behalf. And I I encourage you both IC roles and VP and above to partner with like the search firm, uh, one or two, depending on if it's ICs, like you might need more than one resource, but like go deep with your recruiter, like actually treat them as a partner. I, Mm. I find that sometimes founders that treat it as more of a service provider and as an external 
person versus a partner, it makes it a little bit harder because you, if you don't let someone fully in and you don't give them explicit feedback, a recruiter is only as good as like what is being told, like nobody's a mind reader. Right. So be a partner, a true partner to the recruiter. I encourage our founders when they are thinking about working with a search firm to talk to two or three. So that way they can see who they have the best chemistry with, who can actually like do the search regardless of the logos on their portfolio, because there are bigger firms that have worked with more companies because they've been around for longer. They have huge teams. But is that person going to give you that white glove experience yeah. that a boutique firm like a build could give? So I encourage the partnership with recruiting. And what was your second question? The securing funding is easier. It is becoming a much more like it's a more challenging environment to recruit because I mean, on a weekly basis, I get five to 10 pings. Right. And do I read all of them? No. If it's not a personalized email to me, like definitely not. If it's a recruiter I've never worked with, like probably not a good use of my time unless I recognize something. So I think sometimes your first impression could be your last. So I do recommend that founders reach out to people with more targeted, personalized outreach if they're doing it on their own and to really like tell their story in a human way, because a lot of that is like lacking right now. Because if you don't have a built out website, it's hard to know exactly how you are different than any other Series A company that's reaching out to this company for the same opportunity. Absolutely. And have you seen on the candidate side, like has there been a shift in in demands made or like what they're looking for in this hot market? Or yeah, what does that look like? Yeah, there actually is a shift in both expectations that they have. I find there's a, a bit of entitlement for those that are even like earlier in their career. But I also feel like because we're in a remote distributed world now and hybrid for some, I think it's important to that companies maintain a sense of flexibility. Because if you're being overly stringent on, you must work out of our office five days a week, you're going to lose a significant amount of the candidate population that wants to have that flexibility or cannot relocate for family reasons from a certain place. I also find that those who only have the 100% remote distributed, some people do crave that in-person element. And I think for those early in their career, it's important that they have some exposure to that because I find that the discipline you have in a work environment, like how you conduct yourself, how you dress, like the serendipitous moments and the trust that you build with people in person, I think that element needs to happen. So if companies do intend to be 100% remote, you have to show your culture in different ways. And maybe that's through company offsites. Maybe that's through local gatherings for those in a certain geo together. But also I think for founders, they've had to shift to becoming more human. I think it's important and it's scary because you want to show like you have a level head and like everything together. But sometimes when you don't know what's going to happen with like the situation with COVID or things happening on the other side of the world right now. It's important that you show that you are human because I think that helps people build that connection to you. And at the end of the day, like people don't quit their companies, they they quit their people. So I think having that relatability and showing up as a human, like we have a few founders that I think are superhuman, (laughs) superhuman, (laughs) good at being humans by showing like, here are our current metrics. Like this is what I think it's helpful to help galvanize. Like we're currently at X, we want to get to Y, like this is how you all can participate in getting us right. there and increasing yeah. your current like equity value. Yeah, no, I think there's two things in there that I wanted to get your thoughts on. One was like, yeah, the fact that COVID on top of this valuation era that we're in, throwing all of the talent market into global talent market competitions, but then also this kind of slow awakening in the industry on the importance of culture. There's this term that I found recently called glass box branding, where it's like Oracle, say 15, 20 years ago, you would have never known what the culture inside Oracle was like unless you worked there. But now consumers or 
customers, candidates, everyone can kind of see inside of your company in some sense. Like everybody's culture is way more transparent because of things like Glassdoor, things like Blind, Mm -hmm. just the whole nature of how you construct the importance of your company culture just seems to have grown. And so how have you seen founders dealing with this? What are things that you think about when, especially from the hiring lens of how founders maybe should should think about developing their cultures or anecdotes we've seen it go, go, go well or horribly? Yeah, I've actually seen a few of our companies more so recently introduce sabbaticals for those who have been at the company for like six years, like sales wow. off our companies where I think you get several weeks off and an all expenses paid trip to somewhere. Gus did this a while ago when they first were getting started for celebrating employees. And like, we also have a few companies that are global companies where they have like HQs in multiple countries in the world. And they allow as a perk of working at a globally distributed company to work from any of their offices. They also, there's a company I'm thinking it's called Project 44. It's a company that's initially been headquartered in Chicago and through acquisitions and expansion, they're in other markets, inclusive of San Francisco and Amsterdam and London and are expanding into APAC and Latin America. But in addition to being able to work from any of those offices in the world, which is a pretty cool and unique way to like see the world earlier in your career, they also have this thing where I believe they partnered with Romeo, a service where you can work from this like sprinter van from like anywhere in the US and like just share your travels with others on your team. And I think that's a, a great way for bonding and allowing to get to know the humans at the company and to create that connective tissue because people aren't meeting in person as frequently as they had in the past. And I also think ensuring that managers are checking in with their humans and making sure that they're not getting too much Zoom fatigue or burnt out because in the last two years, we haven't been able to really travel and have outlets. And so, I mean, for me, I just bear myself in work and I know that that's not healthy. And I think having managers that not just only offer the PTO, but also help the employee plan their trips because sometimes people believe like, if I take time off, it looks like I'm a slacker and I don't want to be perceived as such. So having managers be a bit more empathetic and proactively outraged to those who are not taking their time off. And how do you think too about like the executive cultural influence? Like anytime you hire an executive, they're going to make a splash. Like they are going to shift your culture one direction or not. How much of that do you emphasize in the process? Or how do you think about that? How should founders be thinking about the idea of hiring for culture, not just for competence? Hmm, That's a good question. I think part of usually screening for a person's fit at the company is also like, or I guess screening for a person's potential at the company is their fit with the team. And I think part of that comes up during the interview panel. But I think once we've decided that this person is a hire and they are coming on board, I do think it's important that founders and leadership team sets up like a proper integration and onboarding experience where this executive, before they are making decisions and like really wildly changing the course, of the company and the direction, it's spending time and doing a listening tour when they first come on board and not, not making like crazy decisions unless it's like an emergency and like something specific to the company that needs to happen right away. But letting them have a proper like observation period before they are contributing because maybe like you only have some silos information from what's been shared with you. And people are very careful with what they share up front initially, just because. God forbid you end up not taking an offer at their company and going to a competitor. Like you don't want like your whole kimono revealed. Right. I think it's also important that when people are in final stages, candidates, you're ensuring through like whatever their plan is for how they're looking to make change based off of what you've revealed to them at like founders 
who are sharing like, you know, these are the things that are broken. I, I encourage our founders to be open and honest, like don't scare the person away, but let them know what they're walking into because they're going to have to see it once they come on board. Oh, that's huge of like being open, not just about the technical challenges, business challenges, but even culture challenges, like the org structured things. Yeah, I did because I can definitely see, you know, they say recruiting's like dating and you don't want to be like, yeah, I'm talking to my therapist about all these things, you know, like if you're a company and you got a bunch of fires in the house, you got to necessarily want to just come all out with it. But that's interesting. Yeah, there's certain ways to package it so you don't right. scare the person away, but you should also give them a heads up for what they're walking into because if they don't have the skills to address or the interest in that, then it's better that you know sooner than later. Yeah, you got to give people a chance to opt in essentially. Yeah. The Going back to something you were mentioning, you, you talked about how you kind of came up with this original cohort, the OG cohort of talent partners as VCs were trying to distinguish themselves from just being kind of commoditized cash giving machines into like a more service-based, how can we support our companies? How can we support our founders? How have you seen the evolution of the talent partner and maybe how should founders think about that piece of the offering when deciding when, whose money do I take? What firm do I partner with? Yeah, that's a good question. I think the talent partner role hasn't changed too much. There's certainly different flavors of it. Like I don't think my role is similar to most of the others, primarily because I also do internal hiring, which I don't think BC Talent Partner does. I will say that there's a wide range of quality of experience and quality of person. I think those that tend to be the best talent partners that I've worked with and respect tend to have a unique range of experience, inclusive of agency, because they understand what it's like to work with a variety of companies across domains, across stages. Those who have also spent time in-house because there's certainly a setting of expectations that one gets from being in-house. Like I used to recommend to companies before working in-house, you know, do all these things. It's not that hard, but then like being in-house and like having no resources and like having no brand, like it's harder. And I think being in that seat gives you that level of empathy that those who have only worked like on the other side, being at search firms or in VC affords you. And then I also think like those who have worked, I guess the the VC, it also depends on like if they have expertise, like for emergence, we focus primarily only on B2B enterprise SaaS early stage. The other firms are generalists and they certainly have investors that focus and maybe even talent partners that focus on certain domains. I believe like with Andreessen, they have certain talent partners focus on the bio fund versus like other like crypto fund and other focuses of theirs. But I think for founders that are considering who they want to partner with, you know, capital is capital. Right. But thinking about how the talent offering and services offering, because different VCs also have other services partners and also the investor you're working with who has maybe a track record of building successful teams. Like if you're a company that's building dev tools, like and you need to start a developer community, like does anybody on the team have that type of experience or exposure? And if not, like how have they helped other companies that are outside of their experience area in ways like do your founder references and you'll get a lot more of an understanding of like who you will work with and not just the references that they provide you similar to like candidates, but the references that you can do, you can see who's in their portfolio and understanding like, were they there for you as a founder through tough times? Like what hires have they helped you with? What? Like, have they done for you in the last 18 months? This being the founder asking other founders to get a sense for like what you would be getting from that partner. I like that a lot. Like, what's the track record? And actually looking at the network itself, 
like what you can get a good guess on what the network looks like based on the founders in the portfolio, essentially, and the companies in the portfolio. I like that a lot. That's great advice. Yeah. And there's a lot of information out there. So like one who is like considering between opportunities, you can look through Crunchbase and seeing like what rounds they actually participated in, who the partners were and like having that granular information and their information in general, like through like Glassdoor and like other external resources will help you have a full picture of what you're getting from this VC provided you work with them. Uh, and uh, we're getting close to the end here, but I want to know, you work with founders all the time. If you could speak to the audience of young founders today, what advice would you give them when it comes to hiring executives? The TLDR is always be recruiting. <laughs> so everything that you put out there on your website, in an email, know that it could be forwarded and it could be forming external impressions. Like if you are a developer tool and you are sending out newsletter updates, like put in the footer, like we are hiring. You never know who, like where your next candidate will come from. It could be a customer. It could be random person who's having a bad day at work searching on a jobs page. But yeah, I think always be recruiting. And I would just say that. All right. I appreciate you for coming on to the show, Tammy. We talked a lot, a lot about a lot of great things. We talked about the alignment piece, making sure you have clarity going into your search, partnering early with search firms being not just from actually running the search, but from an advice perspective, mm -hmm. working with your VC firms to leverage the network, to get better advice, to get increased clarity before heading to market. We talked about getting things in advance. Yeah, we. I think that there's a lot of gems in here. Let's see. Is there anything that you wish I would have asked you, things we didn't get a chance to talk about? I mean, we could talk for hours. Other advice I would suggest is to do your references, back channel and front door, both on investors that you could take money from and also of candidates you want to hire. And don't take a check the box approach. I think it's important that you are investing in, I mean, you're going to be having this person on your team for the next four years and you want to know what you're getting into. So if you have a chance to do reference calls, do them. But I would say to be careful not to expose one search, ensure that references aren't too stale because like where I was 10 years ago, I don't think that reference would be representative of who I am today. Right. And I would just say that it's hard to recruit right now in this market. But I think for those who are very focused and partner with the right partners, be it both internal recruiters and external resources like Build Talent, I think it helps increase the ability of seeing like the broader bench of talent that you could have access to. And one thing I will say differentiates Build from others is you and a few other search firms will help guide and design processes for those who are first-time founders who might not know what it's like to design a properly representative interview process that allows founders to do their proper assessments, but also allows candidates to learn about you because interviewing is a two-way street. They probably have tons of opportunities. So ensuring that every conversation is one that will continue to help keep you at the top of the candidates list. That's the other point is treat it like a partnership, not like a service. I fully agree with that. I think you learn more. You become a better operator, actually, when you really engage in the process with your recruiting partners. So we're huge advocates to that here. Yeah. But awesome. Thank you again for joining us, Tammy. Appreciate you. Of course. Thank you for the opportunity. The Gradients is brought to you by Build Talent. To find out more about us, head to buildtalent.io and make sure to search for The Gradients in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Click follow so you don't miss out on any future episodes. 
And on behalf of everyone here at Build, thanks for listening. <laughs>